0: I'm kind of encouraged, I guess you could say that I I did not expect after last Sunday's message And some of these messages on generosity Some of the feedback that I've been getting And and I actually um, am touched by how God has touched hearts One person shared with me um, how God had blessed them five years ago and, And I saw them on Wednesday and then later that night They sent me an email and said I just looked back at my financial records And at the end of 2008 we had close to $75,000 in credit card debt. We made a decision to eliminate this debt and began aggressively paying it down. All the credit card debt was eliminated by October 2013. And we haven't carried any credit card debt since. And we were able to do this on two modest salaries. And if we can do it, there's hope for everyone. And I was kind of surprised because last week, you know, I was talking about what does it mean for us to, to take practices and use those practices in such a way that, that as we do that, it leaves some room, some space in our life to be generous. And then earlier that day, I, um, I had a number of different e- either emails or calls. I, I, I got a call on Wednesday morning from someone, and the individual shared that during last Sunday's message as they were sitting there, and I was sharing about one part of the practices is having a, a, what I call an accountable plan of spending, and, a, and I just shared that the Word of God seems to indicate that you take that first 10% or whatever that is, and you and you. And you say, God, this is mine to bless you and bless others. And then you take that other 10, 20, whatever it be to to bless yourself because you've worked hard for it, right? And then you live off of that 70, 80%. Well, this person said as they were listening to that, the Spirit of God began to stir their thoughts. And um, this person's a a business owner. And and they sent me this message. They said, I sensed the Lord prompting me to give him and to the Grow and Gather campaign the first 10% of our business profit. And my spouse and I talked about it, committed to pray about it. And the next day, I was challenged out of the blue by an investment counselor who's a believer to consider tithing off my business. And the person said, have you ever thought of doing that? And they they said, funny you would ask. Just yesterday in the morning service. And I've been praying about it. And then that person shared with me um, that it was clear that God was speaking to me. And I called just to let you know how God worked in my life and what I believe the Spirit of God is challenging us to do and I thought also my story would encourage others as they are considering what God would lead them to do and I could share with you more stories but I I have to tell you the thing I'm most excited about is that we are seeking to do something together here and it's not about a building or a facility that can facilitate ministry as much as we are seeking individually and corporately to follow this mission and that's to to know, follow, and become like Jesus. And through this, I have seen people who are growing more intimately with God, who are walking more closely with Jesus, and who are saying, form my character to become like yours, Jesus. And for that, more than anything, I am grateful as we move together to do that. So I'm gonna ask you to stand, we're gonna pray. Um, You look like you might need to stand and stretch and, and move for a little bit. Let's pray. Father. I pray that as you speak through these words that you have allowed for me to to pray over and prepare and to um, put into a a presentation, I would pray that, God, you would speak to our hearts, speak to my heart, that we would hear you and we would want to know you and follow you and become like you that we might see others around us know you, follow you, and become like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what I want to talk about is this whole idea, uh, and we're on the last of this series. I, I, I usually dread going into a series, and then I get into the series, and I'm usually going, oh, I could do about two or three more messages. Um, but this is the last, I promise, uh, in this series. And, and I just want to ask you, do you excel in giving? Do you excel in this whole idea of generosity, is your heart growing larger, as we've been talking about? That Grinch-like heart, is it moving maybe a size larger than it was before? Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, with this. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he spent about a year with them, and he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in, in your love for us see that you also excel in the grace of giving isn't that neat? if you're gonna do things excellently well here's what I want you to consider as well be excellent in this grace of giving in this idea of generosity and as we look at chapters eight and nine and I mentioned a few weeks ago in the message that's a great chapter, a couple chapters to study, and you just can't just read it. You really need to kind of let your heart and your spirit pour over it and read it in a couple of different translations, because it is, I think, some of the best verses that the Apostle Paul puts together in one section that speaks about generosity. And so as we look at the, the whole aspect of generosity, and we talk about the promise, which we're going to talk about as we get into the middle of this message, I, I want you to be thinking about what what Paul lays out here in chapter 8, and we're going to look at just a few of the different verses through here, but he, he starts and he, he begins by calling the people to a heart examination. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take kind of a, an examination of our heart for a moment. And then he challenges them through the Word of God to, to have an attitude adjustment in this area of generosity. There are actually attitudes that keep you from being generous and attitudes that can help you. And then the last thing, he leaves them with a kind of a faith challenge. And so that's kind of how we're going to walk through this message. And the first thing I just want to talk about is this whole idea of a heart examination. And and what I would love for you to think about for a moment is, are there indicators in your own heart that maybe there's some stinginess? Okay? Okay you know you have on your car you have indicator lights right and, and then when they start to flash if you're like me you don't pay attention to them right And you drive on them for a while and if you do that it creates greater problems what I don't think we realize is that when we live this life there will be times on your mental dashboard that God will be prompting you to be generous and that indicator light will be going off and you're saying until you finally let it burn out I, I really don't want to respond to this and so the first one is what I call indicators of a stingy heart. As Paul, if you look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's writing to a group of people in Corinth, but he's writing here in contrasting with a group of people who live in Macedonia. So Achaia is in the southern part of Greece, and Macedonia is in the northern part. And as I share this, I look around, and there's a few of the guys who are in the men's Bible studies we just started, and we're doing First and Second Thessalonians, so you should be tracking with me to some degree. Right, there, He's writing to this group in Corinth And he's contrasting with a group of people in Thessalonica And these people in Thessalonica, Macedonia area were under great pressure, and they were under great persecution, because when Paul came, he stayed with them only probably for about a month. They don't know about how long, but it was probably no more than that. And he was run out of town. And when he was run out of town, in order to get out of town, they took a guy named Jason, who was rather wealthy, and it was probably the house that they, were, they may have been meeting in. And, and they took Jason, these guys who ran Paul out of town, brought him before the magistrate, and, and they forced him to post bail in order to kind of stop this whole Christian movement. And they were facing that kind of persecution. And and Paul is writing at times in the letter of Thessalonians saying, I wish I could come. I wanted to come. I've done everything I could to come. and, and And the reason against even his own desire... Even though he wanted to so badly against all that, he knew that if he came that probably the bail would be, that was posted would be lost, and he knew that if he came it would even bring more, greater persecution, so he just stayed away. But we're told that the people in Thessalonica, that Macedonian area, had such a response to God, and they loved Paul so much that they would do whatever they could, and they were generous beyond belief. So Paul is writing to them and he says, I want you to look at those people just north of you and all the difficulty they're in because in Corinth they weren't facing this kind of pressure and look at how they excelled in the grace of giving. And so as he goes through this passage of scripture as we look at these verses specifically chapter 8 verses 1 through 12 the first things that you find here with these indicator lights going on of a stingy heart is the first thing he kind of talks about is the indicator light of what I call a good time giver. You know what a good time giver is? A good time giver is the, it's the kind of idea that when, when the times get good, then I'll be generous. It's easy to kind of fool ourselves into thinking that I'm a really generous person, but I just can't be generous right now. You ever thought that? But as soon as the good times come, when I get my raise, as soon as I get you know, my degree, and I earn that degree, and I get the big bucks, and as soon as I win the lottery, and as soon as I win the money, you bet I'll be generous. And those are the indicator light of stinginess should be going off. Those are thoughts of a good time giver. Generosity doesn't come when you think you have the means. It comes before the means. Generosity flows from a whole different attitude, a whole understanding that is different with regard to what we believe about God and our relationship to him. It's not the environmental issue that's at stake. Paul will say in, this, in these verses, but it's a hard issue. Generosity is not based on our present circumstances. In fact, generosity is often revealed in the worst of circumstances. You know, you know that old adage that says you squeeze a lemon, what comes out? You squeeze a generous person with difficult circumstances, and still generosity comes out. It's in the character before it's in the ability. Catch that. Generosity is in the character before it's in the ability. So if you look at what happened at his heart, you know, the heart of this group of people who lived in Macedonia, who were squeezed with some pretty difficult circumstances, you see what comes out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-3 through three says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And I mean, it's such an interesting picture. You know, we don't have a whole lot. We just maybe have just a little bit, but could we, we, whatever we can do, even if it means some hardship for us, out of our poverty, out of our circumstances of difficulty, in our character, God has given grace, and we want to give that grace. And it's not about when the good times come. It's about being faithful now. Let me share with you another indicator light of what is called the reluctant giver. And the reluctant giver is kind of an interesting thing. I was recalling this when I was in an elder meeting. We were talking about something, and I, I remembered this story that I had read years ago. It was a two-volume set on George Whitfield, And George Whitfield, if you don't know who he was, was this incredibly great... Um, Creature who brought the great awakening. Before you heard of Wesley, there was a man named Whitfield who went around everywhere. And Wesley, the reason I think we remember him is because he helped organize this whole revival and, and work of God with methods, which is where you get the word methodism. But Whitfield was the passion, the energy, the fire of God. And, and he came and he went through um, England, he went through America, and he was preaching and people were opening their hearts to God. And, and one of those guys was Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin was kind of an interesting guy. He, he said that when, when, when Whitfield would ask for money, a lot of people would say, oh, this guy is not a man of integrity. And, and here's what Benjamin Franklin writes. Some of the, Mr. Whitfield's enemies affected to suppose that he would apply these collections to his own private in, in, um, enjoyment. But I, who was intimately acquainted with him, being employed in his printing of the sermons and journals and etc., never had the least suspicion of integrity, but into this day decidedly of the opinion, opinion that he was, in all his conduct, a perfectly honest man. And he writes a little bit more and he says, um, he would pray for my conversion. But he never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Ours was a mere civil friendship, sincere on both sides, and lasted to his death. They were really good friends. Whitfield so badly wanted Franklin to have an experience with Jesus. So here is what I call a reluctant giver. Listen to what he says. I at one time was talking with Whitfield he was talking about this orphanage that Whitfield had a heart to develop down in Georgia in a very very um, difficult area and, and he was raising money we do that after messages and he said says Franklin I refuse to contribute I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons says Franklin in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with a collection and I silently resolved he should take nothing from me this is the, the reluctant heart I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistols or coins of gold. As he proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give the copper. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined to me to give the silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's plate, gold and all. As a sermon was going on, there was a friend of mine standing next to me who had the same desire not to give, he talks about, but, by, um, but it says that toward the conclusion of his discourse, my friend turned to someone else because he had decided before he came that he wouldn't put any money in his pocket because he was so afraid that he would be, his heart would be moved. That as he, it, Franklin says, as, as Whitfield continued to speak, after he had emptied out his pockets, his friend started asking him and others, do you have some money I could put in for? Now, that's kind of the reluctant giver. I'll do it if I just get moved to do so. And and that's that second indicator. you, You sense prompting to give, but your impulse is right away fear, I can't do it. Or it's anger, I can't believe You know, it's age old, but the church, all that ever asks for is money, right? And all these things come up. And the reluctant giver, what you'll hear in your mind right now is should, ought, and must. So that in chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, Paul writes, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through you, through his poverty, might become rich. Praise God. Jesus didn't say to his father, You know, I know I ought to do this. I know I should do this. I mean, I see the pain. I see the direction they're going. You know, they created their own mess this world is heading south and yet God in his great love not out of ought or should or must as he goes on Paul says and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so so they got excited at first and then he says now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It's all about the heart. The third indicator is what I call the self-centered. So you have this kind of, when it gets good, God, I'll give. You have this kind of, well, God, I really don't. I ought, should, must. And I'll maybe, because I ought, should, must, I'll give about as much as I think I should give. And not necessarily what you may want me to give, which maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I don't know. Listen to God. But the self-centered giver is giving self-centered way is, is giving in such a way that it's not other-centered. Your focus when you give in a self-centered way is about your pain, it's about your lack, it's about your cost, and not that you shouldn't assess those things, but what Paul seems to indicate in this chapter when he compares and contrasts is it's about other people. It's about what we can do for them. It's as you look at it, you say, what is the opportunity ahead that can touch other people's pain or other people's need? What is it that I can do with what I have right now that can be used for you? And praise God again, that's how Jesus looked at us. Second Corinthians 8 13 through 15 says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed, but that there might be equality, a sense of Togetherness in this at the present time your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need and then there will be equality and as it is written he that has, he that gathered much did not have too much and he that gathered little did not have too little it's about the interest of others there's a really interesting story um, that is, is shared about Mother Teresa and she had an opportunity where she was speaking in front of all these kings and, 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 and these uh, magistrates and leaders and statesmen and presidents. And they were all gathered before her, and she shared and, and told her story about what God was doing through her work. They were gathered, as it says in this article, with crowns and jewels and silks, and she wore a sari held together by a safety pin. And one of the noblemen after spoke to her about the work, this, about the poorest poor in Calcutta, And he asked her if she didn't become discouraged because she saw so few successes. That's a good question, isn't it? And her response was so interesting. Listen to what she said. No, I do not become discouraged. You see, God has called me not to a ministry of success. He's called me to a ministry of mercy. There's a real difference there. I am not guided by what I think is going to happen out here or in any one of these lives. I am guided by an internal principle, by a character that is totally different by that. It is guided by the mercy that I've experienced, and because of that mercy, I want to share mercy, and I leave it in God's hands with what he does. It reminds me of Jesus when he had a, um, some lepers come before him and he heals them, and, and, and ten of them are healed, and they all run off, but one comes back and says thanks. Giving, as the word of God has to say, comes down to a faith relationship with God where our heart is growing bigger and becoming generous. Not because of something we get out of it. It's not because we're in a situation now where we can finally give because we think we haven't. And it's not out of an ought or a should or a must. It's God You have touched my heart. You have met me in my point of need. You have done things in my life. And it's the simple prayer that says, what is it that you want me to do as I look at the needs of others? I look at the opportunities that are before me. So how do you change that kind of stinginess, right? Well, part of it is really focusing on Christ and recognizing what he's done for you. But part of it, too, is, is just writing God's word here. If you go to chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, you'll see that Paul, after a, he says a few things um, to this church in Corinth, he comes to the, kind of the end of his message of generosity. He's kind of coming with the, the, hitting the, the, the punch at the very end. And, and he, he's basically saying, folks, you guys need not just a heart examination, but you need an attitude adjustment. You need, to, you need to kind of change your heart and your attitude. So think for a second, how do you view giving? I've had a number of people who have shared with me that they've brought, they've brought friends or a relative or something during this series, and, and in their heart, there's. I mean, I know what it's like. In fact, when they've told me they've done that, I've gone, oh, man, no, not on this series. But it's been amazing how God has used it because I think when when we do it from an authentic, genuine place where we just look at the Word of God and we say, what's true? I think it changes our attitude. And it really has an impact on the attitude of other people. So how do you view your giving? Paul does an interesting thing here. If you look in in, in verse 6, he says, remember this, whoever sows. And the word sow is important here because it has the idea of how you view giving. He doesn't say, remember Whoever pays a debt to God, you see, do you view what you give as a debt you owe or as a seed that you sow? I really want you to think about this. The word of God is really clear here. A a debt view of giving is this. You owe the government a debt in in about a month, right? Or you should soon. And we call it what? Taxes. Well, you guys are right on it. I'm going to have trouble if you don't know that one. you, would, you owe a debt to a financial lending institution in and it could be more than likely something you live in a home and it's a what? Mortgage. Yep, yeah, it's a mortgage payment. You owe a debt to a bank for your car and you have a car payment. You owe a debt to a credit card company and it's, it's just debt. And in addition, you can think of it this way. You owe a debt to God and we call it a tithe. Paul doesn't even bring that up. You see, if you think of your giving as some kind of debt that you ought, you should, you must, and you'll do it when things are better because you really can't pay it and afford it right now, the payments are too high, and all those kind of things, you will, it, that kind of attitude will infect your heart and you will lose all the joy and all the willingness to want to give. So that's why Paul says, look at these words, remember this, and I think it's important when he says remember this, this is something he says recall on a regular basis when it comes to this whole idea of giving and generosity. Remember this, let this go into your head and and take residence in your mind. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever and I love this idea remember this because he means in a sense when you think of giving think of it this way it is not a debt you owe but it is a seed you sow. And with that giving, it's like planting a seed. And there's three promises. This is what I want to share with you today. Primarily, there are three promises when you think of giving with this kind of attitude. There's what I'd call the promise of increase. There is this promise of, of um, first a promise of investment, the second the promise of increase, and then there's a promise of blessing after an interval. So if you want to look at in, the idea of investment increase and there's an interval from which at some point there's blessing. And the promise investment is simply this, giving is not a payment of a debt, it is an investment opportunity. Have you ever thought about it that way? Jesus at one time said what are you storing up for yourself things here on earth or things in heaven there's this sense and he's not just talking about heaven in the future someday he's talking about what you sow in the sense of what happens in the, in the, in the realm of the spirit and in the sense of the kingdom of God you have an opportunity to invest with all of your life and one of those in the area if you're giving with generosity into the kingdom of God 2 Corinthians 9.6 is really clear in this your giving is not a debt he says it's actually an investment it's like sowing seed That's why he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I know your lights might be going on in your mind, because what happens for us so often, and I think they're defense mechanisms, and we are trying to defend God's reputation, things like that, we go, yeah, that's the same verse all the TV preachers use when they talk about the prosperity gospel and all this other stuff. And I go, yeah, that's exactly right. But I want you to understand in the Word of God, it is very clear what he is saying here. He's making this point. With God we can afford to be generous because what we give to God is not anything like a payment made to some impersonal lending institution. It is an investment made with a personal loving Father who desires our best and who says when you invest with me there will be increase. And you never do this out of a selfish heart. We've been talking about that for the last three weeks. It is it, it is totally wrong to come before God and to give in order to get. All right? But you may be at that point, and God will still help lead you into maturity. But I want you to hear that what God is saying in, in every area of a life, when we invite Him into our life, even if it be our finances, your giving is an investment that invites the supernatural involvement of God into your financial affairs. And you need to hear that we cannot just run all the way to the other end and be afraid there is a part of scripture that says God is in it I'm not saying he will give you material blessing he is saying when you begin to sow you actually step into the presence of the kingdom of God you put yourself under the control of God you put yourself under the protection of God you put yourself under the provision of God when you begin to walk with God you begin to start looking and saying God what can I do and Jesus himself never gave to get right right But you cannot and we cannot and must not move to a place where we we deny the fact when you open your heart to God, he supernaturally begins to move into your heart and into this space and he does things we can't imagine. And I can tell you, it's it's sad because I can tell you story after story in these stories where God actually has taken people who have sown their their, their in, in their life in areas, whether it be just in forgiveness to someone or whether it be in an area where they are becoming an encouraging person. And even in their giving, when you do that, God has blessed. I can tell you countless times. And one of the reasons God does that is because he knows we're children. And we need faith we need to know that we are not paying a debt to God you are investing in God's kingdom and he says the second promise is this there is the promise of increase Paul purposely compares giving to a seed not because they were just an agricultural society but because they understood the concept of increase in that day and age around the idea of seed, which I didn't get growing up in a suburban area, moving into a kind of hobby farm area later in my years, and then moving there, decided to start planting some seeds and trying to have this farmer part of me came out of me, which was just amazing. I didn't know anything about it, so the first year I planted like 10 tomato plants. Yeah, exactly. No. I had so many tomatoes that after I got done throwing them at my neighbor's cars, I still had some. There is this idea of increase. And it's just a natural law. And Paul is saying in this natural law there is a supernatural law that when we invite the presence of God into our decision making, even in the area of our, our generosity, God supernaturally does things that allows the kingdom of God to impact others. And so when you think about this, do you know that two bushels of wheat by harvest yield 67 bushels? They all knew this. Three bushels of oats will eventually yield about 80 bushels. Seven and a half pounds of corn, about 120 pounds. We, we cannot get away from the fact that Paul is saying, I want you to change your attitude and not be stingy and reluctant to give and then only in the good times and to do this in a self-centered thing about what's my cost, what's my lack. But look at it as an investment into the kingdom of God. As you invest into the kingdom of God, you can know just like any kind of investment, it'll bring increase. Jesus said at one point, the word of God is like a farmer who sows seed. Do you remember what the increase of that was, he said? 30, 60, and 100 times. Um, A a number of years back, um, Fidelity's uh, investment manager, a guy named Peter Lynch, for a, a, a fund called Magellan. Anybody remember? The reason I know this is my dad, I don't know, got into it when he was young, so... This investment wizard, Peter Lynch, directed this mutual fund, and its assets grew from $100 million in 1981 to $13 billion in 1990, which meant that a $10,000 investment during that run would have yielded $270,000 in a little over 10 years. The return was close to 25%. Unheard of, right? Doesn't even yet come close to what God's return is. 30, 60, 100. It's kingdom math, folks. You have a choice in this life, in all of your life, to invite God into it so that he can bring, through that investment, increase and allow for what is called the law of compounding interest to work in your life. Now, the last thing is what I call this promise of blessing, the idea that after an interval... You know, when a farmer plants seed, they don't just come out the next day and go, Whoa! I meet with guys in our guys group, and I tell them one of the things I want them to do, I pray they do it, is that they would journal at least five times a day. If they make that investment then in reading God's Word on a regular basis, I can promise you 20, 30 years from now, when the plant and the character of His Word begins to grow in your heart, it, it is life transforming. I I really believe because of God's involvement, it is one of the reasons in our marriage it has grown to the strength it has. I believe it has been a part of what has helped seed things into our kids. I believe it's what God does when he begins to say, take the seed and sow it. He talks about the word of God, but he also here, isn't it interesting, he's talking about generosity and giving. You You cannot slide by that. And he says with it, there comes a promise of blessing after an interval. So he's saying to you, maybe for the first time in your life, he's saying, I'm calling you to begin to just examine your heart and to be generous and to step out and to begin to say, I'm going to do it. Maybe for you, it is the tithe. It's like taking a bath, brushing your teeth, um, picking up your toys. It's just merely out of plain obedience as a child. Maybe you're coming into it with still in your heart a little bit of a get to it. God knows us and loves us. We are frail. We are humans. He has created us. And guess what? He knows how to grow you up. I had a guy come to me one time after it was early in my ministry and I preached on this thing and, and I just challenged people to, to try being generous. And specifically, it was in this area of the tithe. And the guy came up to me and said, You know, I've tried it after about two months. He goes, It doesn't work. <laughs> and I said, Well, you know what? I just hope you keep pressing into God, and not for that reason. I, I, I can just tell you, generosity, I, I've got notes down here, the blessing that comes from generosity, it releases joy. There's a book called The Happiness Habit, and some of it he goes through and gives some of these actual scientific studies that verify what Jesus said is better to give than to receive. Yes, one of them was they asked 350 students to engage in a couple activities. One was to indulge their senses, take an afternoon break, buy some ice cream, savor it, enjoy it. And they, you know, came back and they um, filled out things and and it was pleasurable, but the joy faded quickly. The other activity was to do a mere simple act of kindness. And when they did that, it it had measurable lasting, through studies they showed, empirical studies, lasting effects. And, they, and here's the quote. The big finding was that people experienced longer-lasting improvements in mood from kindness and gratitude activities than from those in which they indulged themselves. There is so many ways that God gives back. Jesus would say, give and it will be given you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the last thing I just want to share with you is generosity, he says, is an issue of faith. Verses 10 and 11. Those next words are basically words where he says to them, Do you believe that God will care for you? He will provide for you. He will supply for you. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower, verse 10, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity... That will result in thanksgiving to God and I just ask you do you believe his word do you believe that God will supply and that he will increase your store of seed do you believe that God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness do you believe you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion this is a matter of faith and I just I have to share with you folks faith is not just about head knowledge It's about obedience. And and the one thing that's really wonderful is that we're all going to stand before God someday and he's not going to go, did you think about it this way? He's going to ask, did you obey what you know? So I feel really good after these messages to be able to look at you all and say, it's too bad for you because you all know. I don't hold any responsibility in this in one sense before the Lord. It's between you and him. And... I just felt like a good way to kind of end this um, when, when, and God just says, test me in this. He says in Malachi, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. Do you believe it? I, and, and belief is not, do you go, oh yeah, that's a good verse, that's pretty cool. Do you believe it? And are you willing to obey it? And I thought it would be really fun to just end with a video that makes you feel kind of good around this whole area of giving.
1: I had an accident, and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my
2: hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread,
1: but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer
2: requests, and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs.
1: I had been saving money but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew i would
2: take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need, and I gave her the $5,000. I
1: struggled a lot when I give them money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but that, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what
2: I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Gray Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want to use your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car, that's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. He said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh,
1: she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie. I'm not really planning to buy a car, she said.
2: Oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control, and she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott, and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family, and our family, and Catherine sees us all coming in, and she's just all excited to see everyone. And I went to give them hugs, and I said, what's Pete doing here?
1: I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out...
2: <laughs> and so we walked her over to the car, we said, Catherine, this is your new car. So. Oh, I said, for me,
1: this is for me. He said, well, I I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new
2: cars (laughs) for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face, and we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable.
1: It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it.
2: We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity.
1: We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. Yeah, so this is one story I would never forget in
0: my life.